Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, guys, I'm sorry. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. Welcome to a special edition of Ace Podcast Nation as well. So basically, Monday is normally a members-only show where myself and Reese do a bit of unscripted, uncensored. We talk about all uh, the different things in the news that week and, and stuff like that. Uh, unfortunately, Reese isn't available. Rob Boyle's on holiday. And uh, I was like, what should I do this evening? What could we do? What could we do for a bit of fun? Have a bit of a chit-chat. What's going on? And uh, as we all, you know, we all love a bit of sport and that. So I thought the Ashes, the Ashes finishes today. Uh, unfortunately, our cricket cricket series is on like a long term hiatus due to the commitments of uh, my co-hosts. Uh, obviously, West Indian cricketer Kieran Powell is here, there, and everywhere around the world, either playing cricket or living up that celebrity life. Uh, and Nye Norman is a new father, so we haven't been able to do the cricket season series. Um, so I thought fifth test, Stuart Broad's retiring. Let's have a little look back at the series and discuss some of the stuff. It's been an incredible series at that. It's been in really uh, one of my favourite series. You know, I've watched many Ashes series in my 40 years, and um, it was one of my favourite ever. Really was. It's been absolutely incredible. Um just such a good series and I actually thought um, just as like a quick thought I, th- I really believe that England were probably the better side and actually they were very unlucky with the weather because I think they would have won 3-2 if it hadn't have been for the weather last week kind of uh, <coughs> losing the week but the Aussies did their part it was an absolute phenomenal uh, phenomenal series phenomenal test match as well this last one um, overnight, it looked like the Aussies had it in the bag. They were 130-odd uh, for no wicket, looking strong. The ball had done nothing all day yesterday. It was looking like it could be a painful finish to the test, to the series, to Stuart Broad's career. But uh, they had other ideas, and um, they got a bit of luck with the, the change of ball, I think it's fair to say, because it suddenly started to move about a bit. But ultimately, it was just like the rest of the series up and down and back and forth. It's just incredible. Two teams genuinely going toe-to-toe, playing different styles of cricket, but just toe-to-toe, really enjoyable to watch from the very first ball of the series right the way through. Simply incredible. So, so enjoyable to watch. And um, I definitely am very disappointed in some ways that it's 
it's over. And I'm also disappointed that they crammed all these tests in to like a six-week period or whatever it is. And now we kind of got to go without test cricket. Um, the 100 starts next week. Got my some tickets for going to see Welsh Fire, uh, among other things. But, yeah, still a bit disappointing um, that there's no, no more ashes, no more test cricket, no more ashes for like two years, which is even more... Uh, depressing to think about but ultimately it's been a fun time um so yeah it's a bit weird because it's like um obviously a lot of my normal audience is football related but i'm hoping we might see a few few regulars few questions i know when um, on twitter i've got a bit of a we've got a bit of a kind of crickety following because obviously we have the cricket show which has got its own its own cricketing uh what's it called it's got its own site and stuff so you know there's that as well so let's uh we'll have a look we'll have a chat it'll be up for download afterwards as always through the sports social podcast network so please do if you have any questions you've got any views on the series as a whole as the match today um some of the controversial points that we've seen obviously over the the past couple of weeks which have been interesting but um what i'd like to do is um before we discuss today's game let's go back kind of through the tests and and kind of go from there the, the, the series started with almost not controversy but a bit of an interesting decision on England side Jack Leach had a stress fracture to the back which meant he was out their first choice spinner many people including myself felt that they should go with a young man Rehan Ahmed um but it was a, it would have been a lot of pressure such a lot of pressure for for someone who's like 19 to go and bowl first choice of the Ashes. I mean, you look at Todd Murphy and he plays a couple of games for Australia as the spinner after Nathan Lyon got injured. And it only this test, really, that they fully trusted him to bowl the overs um, is a big step. So they brought in Moen Ali out of retirement. And fair play to him, like particularly in this fifth test, he pulled a groin when he was batting in the first innings. Um, didn't bowl in the first innings then. And he what a set what a what a what a stint he did with the bat and then with the ball in the second innings. Unbelievable. Took some really important wickets. Ben Stokes made an error, which nearly cost him with Steve Smith just before lunch. But um going back to that, obviously you had Jack Leach out straight away, which was a blow. At the start of the series, Chris Wokes, Mark Wood were not fit. So they had Josh Tongue in. For that first test, Ardy Robinson. Um, who else was there in that first test? Seems like so long ago. Obviously, Johnny Bairstow was chosen to to keep wicket, which I think was that was controversial in itself because he. A lot of people. I'm a, I'm a you know former wicketkeeper myself. Um, played to like a high level as well uh, in my teens, and wicketkeeping is a very specialist position. And uh, Ben Fox is one of the top three wicketkeepers in the world. Is absolutely outstanding behind the sticks. But what I don't like is people kind of implying um, that he can't bat. Like, he's a good batsman, but he's not quite in the same mould as a Best or a Harry Brook. He's not as quick scoring. He's not as aggressive. But he's a very, very good batsman, make no mistake. Johnny Bairstow was picked for his batting. And I don't think that's... At, at, at that point, I don't think it was that controversial. The only controversial thing was... Can you put Johnny Bairstow in there and then get Ben Folks in as well? 
So as it turned out, Ben Stokes was only going to be able to bowl very few overs in, in the series as a whole. By the last couple of tests, he wasn't able to bowl at all. So at that point, you probably can't get him in. But in that first test, I did think they could have got him in because Ben Stokes was bowling at that point. Johnny Bairstow had to be in the batting lineup last summer before he broke his leg. I think he scored like 100 in every test or something stupid. Like, he is a beast. But he clearly wasn't fit. And in those early tests, the drop catches, the bad keeping did cost England. And I'll speak about it in a minute as we go through the test matches. I think ultimately some of those drop catches probably cost them winning the Ashes. But it's difficult to say because obviously... They lost those first two games, which was so... All the games were really close. Those first two games, they were in a position to win, particularly in the one uh, they threw it away in some ways, just by not batting as intelligently as they did later in the series. But um, the first test, we came in. Nathan Lyon was obviously in the side for Australia. It's a massive, uh, massive bowler for them. So England scored... England won the toss, elected to bat. And they scored 393 for eight off 78 overs. Joe Root scored 100. Um, they batted Australia around a little bit in that innings. Like the first ball of the whole series went for four by Zach Crawley. It was very, he was making a statement. And by the way, he played. And by the way, he was the one that everyone was calling for, Zach Crawley. Everyone was saying, drop Crawley, you know, move Pope up or put Bairstow up open and then get Ben Folks in. Crawley was the one who people were saying to drop, and he ended up the leading run scorer for the whole series. Um, so they, they banged in nearly 400 off 78 overs and declared on the first day, which was very attacking, but a very aggressive thing, which nearly won him the game. Now, people will look at it with hindsight, and hindsight, Ben Stokes said something earlier in his interview, hindsight always wins. It does. It always wins. But at that point, you're thinking that's really aggressive. They 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 declared. I think there was you know not long left in the day, so they wanted to get a couple of overs in. Australia replied with three eight six. Now it was Kujara who really did the damage in that. He scored 141 of 321 balls. He cemented that innings and really really kept them together. Um, Ollie Robinson was the sort of pick of the bowlers, I think, for in, from England side. Nathan Lyon was the pick in the first innings for Australia. But it was very even. Even in that first innings of the first test, it was very even. But it was also very reminiscent of how the series was going to play out. Both sides scored about the same amount of runs, give or take. England were very aggressive, scored their runs very quickly with, you know, just under 80 overs, nearly scored 400, whereas Australia took nearly 120 overs to score 386. Kajala scored uh, 141 off like 300 balls, whereas Joe Root scored 118 not out of 150 balls. It was very reminiscent of how the series was going to progress. Now, England then absolutely just went on a blitz um, and scored 273 off 60 odd overs. Harry Brook was the top scorer with 46 or 52. Pat Cummins bowled absolutely superbly. Um, so England resumed on uh, there on day four. They were 28 for two. Um, I think Pope went relatively early, and then Harry Brook took the attack, 
attack to Australia. Root scored, I think, 40 odd. And as they went into lunch, they were about 150 off of five. They had a lead of 162. Um, Bairstow and Stokes both got starts again, which is this again was very reminiscent of the whole series for both sides. His players getting starts 20 to 40 and then not going on. I don't remember an Ashes series where so few players got to between 40 and 80 and didn't go on and score hundreds. And that includes the big boys as well, your Roots and your Smiths and the like. It was very interesting to see that this wasn't happening. Um, so, yeah, Pat Cummins bowled particularly well in that first test, really led from the front as a captain. So England set Australia 281, which is tantalising because there was plenty of time for Australia to get the runs. But 280 is still a big ask with four, you know, four with in the fourth innings. Um, Australia started their chase with two fours immediately off that first over. David Warner fell 36 again, another start, but that was in like the 18th over. Um, and they, they brought in Scott Boland as a night watchman on that day four as it closed. And I think um, <clears throat> Kajala and Boland lasted and Australia closed 107 for three. I think still needing 174 to win. England were in control and they thought, I think everyone thought England were going to go on and win that game at that point. The final game, the final day they lost the morning to rain didn't start till I think it was around sort of two o'clock in the afternoon. It was... Um, yeah, it was unfortunate. But Australia lost their fourth wicket within a couple of overs with the night watchman going to broad. And then um, Mo Ali got ahead. Uh, and they kind of... England went into tea with Australia 183 for five on the final day. Australia needed 98 and England needed five wickets. So it was really even. Very similar to today, in fact. Really even. So then you've got after tea then. Uh, Robinson got a wicket quite quickly. Stokes got Kajala. I apologise, I keep butchering his name. So they were... Um, England didn't take the new ball at that point, which I think was a mistake, but they didn't have a mark word at this point. So they didn't have that out-and-out pace for a strike bowler. Um, they got Australia eight down as Carey went caught and ball to root. And Australia at this point, they still needed 54 runs but they only had two wickets left. So then they take the new ball, but England just couldn't get those last two wickets. And you had the very experienced Nathan Lyon and the captain Pat Cummins see them through to win by two wickets. Um, and and Ben Stokes look, took a lot of criticism after that first test for the early declaration, for the just the general way in which they conducted themselves in terms of they were very aggressive people said they should have put the runs on the board rather than declaring earlier just under 400 you know they should have put four or five hundred on the board and batted australia out of the game but that's just not the way this england team plays cricket and what it does is it makes for sensational viewing because they're not interested in the draw and then australia is a very kind of traditional test side in the way that they bowl, the way that they bat, and they had to they had to adapt their field setups to put 
to look at the, the the aggression of the English batsmen. So they very often you'd have fielders on the boundary and you'd have very one day like fields. But Australia took the first test. It was one or one nil. But I think England came away from that first test feeling like we should have won that. And ultimately, I think it was within their grasp. When you get to two wickets, you know, two wickets down and they still needed 50 odd. I think they think they should have won that. And I would even go as far to say <clears throat> that if they had had Wokes and Wood at this point, I think they probably would have finished off the tail because as we saw today and we saw in the last tests, you know, those guys blow away the tail. Pace and movement does for the tail. But we went into the second test with Australia one up. Things were really hotting up at this point, um, really hotting up. It was such a, it's just exciting. So England won the toss again. They elected to field. Um, Josh Tung was in for this one as well uh, for England. Australia batted first. They scored 416. Steve Smith with a sublime 100. Uh, really, really good. But Josh Tung bowled very well for his three wickets. They set England 416. And they scored pretty quick because they, you know, they got them in about 100 overs. Not massively quick, but probably a bit quicker than traditional test match batting, I suppose. But England then um, scored 325. But what was kind of key to keeping this game interesting, this test interesting, was they scored them very quickly. They scored them in 76 overs. Ben Duckett scored 98. They were very, very aggressive again. And so they, you know, about 100 off. So Australia had that lead of 100. But England got them out pretty cheaply there. Stuart Broad with a masterclass of swing bowl and four, four, four wickets for 65 off 25 overs. Uh, Koala scored 77. Again, great, great. So his, you know, in the first two tests, Kajala scored um, 141, 65, and then another 77. Very, very good start to the, to the series from him. And... Again, it was so tight, this test. Even though Australia had that 100 that, um, that hundred run lead from the first innings, England were only chasing 371, which sounds a lot for a fourth innings. But we've seen England in recent years. We've seen England since Stokes has taken over, chase down these types of, these types of um, totals pretty well you know obviously you go back to 2019 before Stokes was captain and Stokes did this at Henley you know led aside a batting with the tail again Stokes tried to do the same thing as that Henley test back in 2019 this time as captain he scored 155 England were bowled out for 327 they came came up short again Pat Cummins the pick of the Australian bowlers in that second innings really really clever but what they did this time with the chase that they didn't do back in 2019 is they found ways to slow down Stokes at different points with their field settings. So he had to be a bit more clever in when, so what he was doing is they were, he, if he was on strike and he had the tail end at the other end is they would do the normal thing, you know, four balls, then they come in to stop the single, stop them changing, getting Stokes on strike for the next over. But instead of taking that, he would then try and hit the boundaries when the field came in. T 
to get the sums up. And as that day five began, um, you had Duckett and Stokes were in. They were both playing very positively. Um, I think I remember there was a, maybe an LBW or two overturned and things seemed to be looking good. They were kind of set up. And then all of a sudden, um, Duckett went just short of his century again. Um, Bearstow walked up his crease to talk to Stokes. Hadn't been called over. Keeper threw down the stumps and he had the ball in his hand. He was very within his rights to do it. There was a big <coughs> hoo-ha and people discussed the spirit of cricket and stuff. It was a bit of a brain fart from Bearstow. Like for me, as a wicketkeeper, the ball came through to Carey. He caught it. Bearstow kind of tapped in his ground and then went for a walk. But at that point, like Carey still had the ball in his hands. Like anyone who's watched cricket or has been a wicketkeeper, the wicketkeeper takes the ball if there's no contact from the bottom and stuff. And then he'll catch it and then he'll throw it to the slip normally or to one of the fielders. And then it kind of makes its way back to the bowler. If the keeper's still got in his hands, as a batsman, as far as I'm concerned, that's still alive. Even though it was the end of the over, it's still alive while the keeper's got in his hands. And I th I think only when he throws it to one of the other fielders, to me, is when he's sort of signalling, right, we're making it way back to the bowler. And the umpire hadn't called over. There was a big hoo-ha. People were not happy. Bairstow was fuming. Broad was in next and he was fuming. So it was all a bit testy. Then you had the big thing in the Lords, in the long room as the Australian players went through. There were some things said. The Australian players took exception. But still, Ben Stokes was marching on. Nine fours, nine sixes, 155 he scored. But England fell short. Thought Stokes was going to do it again. But once Stokes fell, you felt like even though they only needed 70, they didn't have someone to see them through like you needed a bear stoke or a stokes two guys who were very very good at, at batting with those tail enders and you just didn't have that england's last wicket partnership in that game though survived for like seven or eight overs i think it was um they got them within about 40 odd but before that uh mitchell stark bowled josh tongue to to seal the victory so australia were two up but it very much felt like it could have been easily 2-0 to England also. Like, it was that close and it was these little decisions. And unfortunately, in both those games, uh, Johnny Bairstow had dropped some catches. He dropped a couple of catches. I remember he dropped Mitchell Marsh um, in the third test, that was. I apologise. But I'm pretty sure he dropped Steve Smith in one of the first two tests as well. Um, and then they went on and got runs. And this, this is the problem. When you drop catches the top, top batsmen make you pay. And Australia, I think, they made England pay when they made mistakes. Um, I forget which test it was, but there was a point in one of the tests where England were about 200-odd for two or three, and Australia would look broken. Mentally, they just looked completely shell-shocked, and England were cruising. And all they had to do was just keep going, not give their wicket away. So Australia was so out of ideas that they kind of reverted to just bowling bouncers. And as we saw, I think it was the fourth test 
when Australia resorted to this in the fourth test, the England batsmen just refused to hook for like a couple of overs. And then it was a waste of time and they had to abandon that plan. And if England had done that in that test when they were like 200 odd for two or three, I forget which test it was. Maybe it'll be the third one I'm going to talk about now. But they they ended up losing, I think, three wickets hooking in the space of a few overs. And it completely derailed that test. And, and they were always kind of playing from behind after that. And I just felt like that lacked a bit of game awareness. You know, yes, be aggressive. But there's sometimes you've got to dig in. Like Australia today in the, in the fifth test, you know, they were awesome yesterday, Australia, were in the, in the way they batted. But when that ball started moving, they had to, the batsman had to dig in. And there was a couple of them who were still driving. You know, the, the, the ball was spinning and they're driving out of the rough. You, you've got to adapt your game, whatever sport you're playing, fighting, boxing, football. As the game situation changes, you have to adapt your plans. You have to adapt how you're going to approach the game and I just felt in a couple of the moments early on in the test series that they were the moments that Australia really really won they adapted better as the game was moving and England so like <clears throat> England dropped catches Australia punished them England were cruising and Australia was struggling and England didn't capitalize on it and in fact kind of gave their wickets away. And I understand what Ben Stokes said in response to that. He said, you know, it wasn't the plan of, of hooking. It was the execution. If they'd hooked them for six, no one's saying anything. But but yeah, but then later in the series, they decided not to hook uh, when Australia resorted to that plan. They got through that sort of period and they made Australia pay and they went on and won the test match. So I think it's, you can be aggressive, but you also, you always have a plan B. You always have a plan B, a plan C, and you have to adapt to the game conditions and what's happening around you. You know, it's top-level sport. Things don't always go your way. Things don't always just happen as you want them to. And they don't always go with the, the plan that you start out with before the game. You know, you make plans before the game. Something changes. You have to adapt. Um, and I thought as the series went on, England did that much better. And look, you know, maybe Ben Stokes is, is growing a bit as a captain as he goes along. Um, maybe not. I don't know. But um, so England went into this third test. Somehow they were 2-0 down, which was remarkable in some ways. And it was going to be an interesting one because England, you know, facing defeat, 2-0 down. They would have to win three on the bounce to win the sort series. Um, they made three changes to the team. One was forced with Ollie Pope being uh, out because he um, was ruled out of the series with a shoulder injury. Uh, Moen Ali had come back in after missing the second test from a finger injury. James Anderson was, and Josh Tongue were rested with Mark Woods and Chris Wokes coming in for their first appearances of the series. This is when... Things changed for England on the bowling front. Look, um, I love Jimmy Anderson. He's one of my favourite English bowlers. Him and Broad, my probably my two favourite English bowlers of all time, alongside Ian Botham and uh, and Freddie. But like, 
Jimmy Anderson is not the bowler he once was. He's still clever, but he was largely ineffective in this series for long periods. And that showed today in the fifth test when Jimmy Anderson barely bowled. If I don't, yeah, he did bowl a bit. I remember seeing, but but oh, oh, you know, he 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 largely didn't bowl. So going forward, I think we're going to see him less and less. He said he's not going to retire. But I wonder whether it might almost be enforced because I can't see him going out to India. I don't think he'll be effective there. The conditions won't suit. And he hasn't got the pace of a Wilkes or a Wood anymore to really trouble people when the ball's not moving. But he may, maybe he'll go, you know, to help with the younger lads and the experience. I don't know. So the third test, yeah. Uh, so Wilkes and Wood came in. And this is really where it changed for. For, for England, in my opinion. Um, Nathan Lyon was out for the series with an injury to his calf. So Australia made a couple of changes. Also, they brought in, and uh, or Lyon was dropped out with injury. Cameron Green was dropped. They brought in uh, Todd Murphy, who I actually thought looks quite decent, but he's, you know, he's only played a handful of tests, if that. So he's very inexperienced. Um, <clears throat> but they also brought back Mitchell Marsh, with the international wilderness um, and Josh Hazelwood dropped out and Scott Boland returned, which I thought was a mistake because um, Josh Hazelwood, his English conditions suit his bowling. Um, England won the toss again, no doubt. You know, they won all the tosses by one, I think. Um, but they opted to bowl this time and um, David Warner drove the first ball of the morning. I, I'd be interested to know if this series... Um, was some sort of record for first balls of sessions being driven or being hit for a boundary. Seems like almost every session, batsmen tried to implement a bit of aggressiveness into the bowlers off every session, you know. But um, so he drove broad for four the first ball that session, that that test, but then he fell within four balls um, again to Stuart Broad. This time, Ollie Robinson opened the bowling with um, Stuart Broad, and I actually thought he did really well. Um, Robinson, I thought he uh, he was a bit unlucky to be dropped actually to bring um, Anderson back in later in the series, but we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Mark Wood came into the attack in the seventh over, seventh over with um, Australia one down, and in that opening spell, he bowled up to ninety-five mile an hour. Just that raw pace, but also he was moving the ball. He was swinging it away from the right-handers, and he just he just looked aggressive. But also he he got the crowd up. He got the crowd going. Um, Wilkes came in, did a tremendous job as well. So suddenly England had Robinson and Broad bowling really accurate away swing, especially Broad against the left-handers. He's so difficult because of that weird angle he creates. He goes around the wicket and then moves it away which is such an unusual angle for the left-handers. And then you had Wilkes and Wood come in, pace and movement, and it was really difficult for the Australians. They went into luncheon on that day, day one, 91 for four, and um, England just England just looked on top. They just looked a different animal. They looked more aggressive in the field now. I mean, they looked more aggressive. They looked just like they had something about them. You know, and I know, you know, they had to win these games, but so you're always a bit more lively in that situation. But Australia just from that very first morning, 
they looked a bit shell-shocked. They just didn't quite look like they knew. It was like they'd never faced ball, bowling that fast, which they obviously have. Um, so the afternoon session came about, and that, you know, Mitchell, a returning Mitchell Marsh um, was dropped early on. I think he was dropped on like four or six or something, went on to score a 102 ball uh, century. And Ollie Robinson went off with a back spasm. So they were England were one bowler down. Um, Marsh was eventually out for about 120 odd with, um, I think it was Wilkes got him. So uh, Australia recovered and got up to 240 for five after tea. And um, it was really like finally set, you felt at that point, because Australia's tail had wagged nicely in these initial tests like australia had really done well at the lower end of the of the order england has struggled to pick up the wickets and obviously in that first test was the problem they'd lost by two wickets because they couldn't get those final two guys out but then they didn't have a uh, the pace of mark wood i guess um after t uh head fell for about 40 odd wilkes got a wicket then joe root took a great catch um, after he had dropped Alex Carey, the previous delivery. And then two hours later, Mark Wood came back and just decimated the tail. He, he took Mark Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins in the space of three deliveries. And um, he got his fourth wicket a couple of overs later. Then he got his fifth wicket. And, and England got it. Australia all out for 2-6-3 two, six, two, six, um, with Mark Wood picking up a 5 for And... England felt like they had the upper hand coming out of that innings. They'd got them out cheaply. Wood and Wokes and Broad were firing, but they were one they were one bowler down with Robinson injured. Um Bucket fell Duckett, sorry, fell very early. Uh I think he got one or two. Um and then uh Cummins again was the pick of the bowlers in that early period. Uh, two overs later, because Harry Buck came in at three. Um, it didn't last long. Uh, he didn't enjoy it. He never looked comfortable. He was out for three, and um, he did not bat three again, even from the second innings. Um, they lost Crawley for about 30 odds. So England closed the day on, on 68 for three, replying to the... So they were 2-2, two, two, still 200 behind. So where they'd come off really positive after... Ball in Australia out. It had swung back again. So it was just constant swinging back and forth in this in this series. Even like it wasn't even like a session to one, a session to it was like half a session, just back and forth and back and forth. So that second day was really shaping up for England needed something because they got Australia out cheaply. And really they'd have been looking to go out and get a score quickly and get a good lead from that first innings. Root was out second ball of the day. Then Bearstow, uh, Stokes and Pryor, uh, sorry, Stokes and Ali rebuilt innings a little bit. Um, but yeah, England were 142 for seven at lunch. Straight after lunch, though, Mark Wood hit 18 off the first over, two sixes and a four, another six in the next over before he was caught at mid-wicket. But what that did is it just seemed to wake up Ben Stokes. And Stokes just went after the Australian batting at that point. And all of a sudden, they went from sort of struggling. And, and England 
Stokes just hit, I think, five or six sixes as he brought up his 50. And then finally, um, I think he got about 80 odds, maybe. I'm not 100% sure. I can't remember that. But England got up to 237, which was a great effort considering they were 140 odd for seven. So they did really well to get it. Just deficit of 26, not really much. Uh, and then they got at Australia in the second innings. Broad got Warner again, second time in the match. And they just were on top. 29 for one, lead of 55 for Australia. And then after T, Moen Ali's, this is this was when he started to come into the series. He picked up two quick wickets, but it was the who they were. He got Labashane, who was set on 33, and he got Steve Smith before he gets set. Um, and Steve Smith was also his 200th wicket at that point. So after the drinks break in that final session on uh, on day two of the third test, Wokes got Kajala straight away, caught behind, and then Head and Marsh sort of recovered a little bit. They went, they closed uh, 116 for four. So they had like 142 lead with six wickets to go. So I think... <clears throat> England would have gone out of that. They would have been happy to have got Smith and Labashing. But what they didn't want to happen was Australia to go and score quickly in the morning. They needed to get those wickets done, try and keep that lead to as low as possible so they weren't chasing too much because the pressures. Fourth innings chases are just notoriously difficult. And then um, what happens? The weather delays, of course it does. Um, it wasn't too long, but they eventually they eventually got back onto the pitch, and um, Mark Wood again. So you had Wokes got rid of Marsh and Carey, and then Wood just came out with this all-out blistering pace that just decimated Australia again. And uh, Australia were all out. England was set 250 to win. Now, on paper, I think most people would expect this England team to be able to chase 251. They've chased much more. And they've chased it quickly. But there's always the thing of rain. England began their chase at like seven o'clock at night that, and on the third day. So there was plenty of time. So you think on paper, with that much time left, 250 should be easy. It's never easy. Test cricket is, is a minefield. Fourth innings chases are a minefield. The pitch you know, is deteriorating. The ball will start to spin. But the thing that England had in their advantage is, number one, it was only a day three pitch rather than a usual you know, normally you're chasing day four, day five, where the pitch is much worse. And also, this was it. We They didn't have Nathan Lyon to tie up one end that they, <clears throat> over the years, so often have had, where you can just have Nathan Lyon, puts it on a sixpence, and ties up one end, and you keep all your pace bowlers fresh, and they can get at the English batsman. And I think this is, like, as much as, Wood and Wilkes coming in changed the series for England. I think losing Nathan Lyon changed it for Australia because 
they were never able to keep their you know they were never able to keep their their bowlers fresh because England just kept going they kept coming they kept being aggressive so these bowlers like weren't bowling particularly I think took some tack in that game and then um, they weren't able to like control the flow of runs which means they kept switching the bowlers the, the pace bowlers were never able to really settle down into a rhythm they were never able to get a rest <clears throat> um so they faced England faced that five overs um 27 for naught. So going into day four, England had 10 wickets. They were 27 for no wicket. Comfortable. I think most people thought they would chase it down. You just don't know with this England side, though, because they go so hard that you just wonder, could they get themselves in a pickle? But they bat deep, so you're expecting them. And they lost their first wicket pretty quickly, about five overs in. But then Mo and Ali comes out to bat number three Harry uh, Harry Brooks was back to five where I think he's much more comfortable and like, Mo and Ali has batted at at, at, uh, at number three before at, uh, test level and at, in one days but I also think it was you know I don't think people were expecting like a he's just come out of retirement you know it's not like a, anyone was expecting too much of him but if he could hang around for a bit that would have been a bonus because you know he'll score quick. He's got great technique, but he's also susceptible to the short ball and stuff like that. So I think, you know, it was a gamble. And I think actually Ben Stokes coming in at three um, in this in this fifth test, I thought that looked much more natural. And maybe that's where we might go in the future. Um, but we'll discuss that when we get to it. Uh, Root came in as well. Um, Ali didn't last long, he was gone for five. Root came in, he got a bit of a partnership going with Crawley, but it was then Crawley who fell for 44 and England were 93 for three. And you're thinking, oh god, here we go. But Harry Brook came in back at his usual spot at number five, and uh, he played himself in by just scoring boundaries. Stark and Boland both took a bit of tap, they couldn't get the flow of runs under control they couldn't settle into a good a good session of bowling for them and uh, Harry Brook really disrupted them excuse me um but then Joe Root just gloved one down the leg side when he was set on his 20s with um Stokes coming in and and then it was like it wasn't panic stations because England at this point like 150 at lunch they went in 150 odds for four so like the, the the target was down now into like sing double figures, but then Stokes goes straight after lunch, caught down the leg side, and you're just thinking, oh for God's sake, here we go. Berso comes in two hours later, he's bowled by Stark, and you now you're starting to get a bit twitchy. But uh, a good old Wokes, um, Chris Wokes came in and completely steadied the ship with Harry Brook. Harry Brook got a crucial 50 of 67 balls. Um, my one criticism of Brook in this particular instance is that he should have seen it through. He should have been there with Wilkes at the end to see this through. He got caught top edge in a cast, catch to start for 75. And um, they nearly bumped into each other, actually, as they went to court. It was would have been funny, but, you know, there we go. Um, and then with the that was the last wet record. So... 
Brooke was the last recognised batsman England had. He was gone. Wokes was settled. England needed 21. Mark Wood comes in. And you know Mark Wood is not going to hang around. He's either going to smash it or he's going to get out. Um, and he went about it, as you expect. He struck 16 in eight balls. And then Wokes hit the winning runs. And England fin- and Wokes first 32 not out and secured a three-wicket victory for England. And actually, in this game, I thought England were excellent because there was a few times where I thought, like they came out of that first innings after getting Australia out for under 300, and I really felt like they could put Australia to the sword. If they could score 350, 400 quickly, they could put Australia under pressure, and they didn't. They actually went into the second innings with a deficit, but then they got him even cheaper. So the the bowling from Stuart Broad and Mark Woods in particular was just outstanding. Uh, it was a really great victory. So then you've got this thing. There's two tests to go. England the two one down. Can they do the unthinkable? Can they can they win three on the bounce? Come from two 0 down and win the Ashes, and um, they won the toss again as this as was the the run, um, and they elected to field. And again, they got Australia out for under 350, 317 off 90 overs. Mitchell Mars again batted excellently, scored a good 50. But um, it was Chris Wilkes again. He was the pick. Five wickets, absolutely outstanding. And him and Mark Wood was sensational. Um, and this is where I feel the mom- whole momentum of the series switched. So up until this point, up until this Australian first innings, I did feel it was very like pendulum back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But from the moment England got Australia out from 300, for 317 in the fourth test at Old Trafford, something just changed. England scored 592 in 107 overs. Zach Crawley scored 189 of 182 balls. They absolutely decimated the Australian bowling attack, absolutely destroyed it. It was sensational. Um, unbelievable, unbelievable batting. It, it truly was. Um, Zach Crawley was incredible, backed up by some others. Um, and it was just impressive the way. I've never seen an Australian side look that like, broken and decimated. Um and Bairstow, Johnny Bairstow was incredible as well. Under a lot of pressure, taking a lot of criticism about his keeping. Hadn't really scored any runs. I think he scored 150. Uh, he ended on 99 not out after Crawley had done the damage early on. I bat him with the tail and he had some ma- unbelievable sixes. A couple of the, he does like a hook, but it's like a flat back hook, flat bat hook. And it just goes straight over. It's unbelievable. Um, so England were bowled out for 592, and it was just unbelievable. So they were they had a first innings lead of 275. So so Australia had to score for some of my viewers, maybe who you know don't know cricket that well. Australia had to score 275 to even make England bat again. Um so they were under pressure. Wood was bowling some fast balls. The others were backing him up. And it was just, it was intense. David Warner fell to Wokes early. Uh, but Labashane and Smith, as they so often do, 
got a bit of a partnership going and, and, and really steadied the ship a little bit before then Mark Woods took his 100th test wicket by just getting Steve Smith and he got him a couple of times that really the him and Wilkes took such important wickets like today they took important wickets and it really turned the tide in England's favour um, and England Australia would sort of get a bit of a partnership and then they would build and the close was delayed till quarter seven that day Australia were 113 for four still had 160 to score before they could even think about anything else but day four came, which was a Saturday. They'd expected bad weather. So England had batted even more aggressively when they scored their 5-9-2 because they knew the rain was coming on the Saturday. So the, the initial thought was it was going to rain Saturday, but Sunday would be okay. So they were going to lose a day. So they'd bat quick, bat aggressively, get the runs on the board, and then try to you know, recover from the, the time that they'd lost. Um, they had like a little period on Saturday where they managed to get some pe- some bowling done and then they had a bit where they could only bowl spin and they did get Labuschagne out for 111 but by the time the rain came and, and delayed tea and then the rain came again um, Australia were 214 for five they were 61 behind and then that was it for Saturday and then unfortunately all day on the Sunday it rained so that was declared a draw which is unfortunate because it would have been incredible to go into this fifth test which finished today at two all it would have just been simply incredible you know Australia would have been two nil up England would have won two on the bounce it would have just been amazing theatre to be able to go into that final test two all wasn't to be unfortunately because of the British weather but um, the fifth test did not disappoint. Um, Stuart Broad announced he was retiring a couple of days into this fifth test. So this was his last ever cricket match. Um, England named an unchanged side. Australia brought back in spinner Todd Murphy with Cameron Green dropping out. And Pat Cummins finally won the toss. And he decided to bowl. Um, England's openers were very good at the start. They, we scored the, just a 50 partnership in like 10 overs. Again, super, super aggressive. And Ben Duckett was looking awesome. Uh, he'd made 41 or 41, and then he just gloved one behind, like out of the blue. Again, Australia looked mentally shot in the field. Like a few times I thought they looked like they were really struggling with ideas and, and what to do with England. Like they just couldn't stem the runs. And there was points where they weren't able to get the wickets. But because England are so aggressive, there's always a chance. Um, and then Duckett fell. And then suddenly the uh, Australia picked up Zach Crawley and Joe Root very quickly. Um, Pat Cummins again, Josh Hazelwood. And then Harry Brook and Moen Ali came together. They put on a 50 partnership. And they kind of steered the innings and just settled it down. So they went into lunch on that first day, England, 134-3. I think both sides would have been happy with that. I think the only thing Australia wouldn't have been happy with, really, was the the rate that England had scored. It was like to score 131 in the first morning session of a test is pretty sensational. Um, straight after lunch, Brooke brought up his 50 and, and Moen <laughs> pulled a groin. 
So he started, he just had to hit sixes because he couldn't run. And then uh, Benjamin Stokes came in, but he only managed to get three off the 16 balls. Mitchell Stark did well. Johnny Bairstow also only scored four. So three balls later, um, Brooke was out for 85. And um, yeah, England weren't doing great. Um, they ended up at 250 for seven. And uh, they had a bit of a, a tea break. And then Wilkes was given LBW straight after, but he got it overturned. Um, there was a little edge, but unfortunately, two balls later, um, sorry, fortunately, two balls later, then Wilkes was dropped at Gully. And Australia had dropped five catches throughout that day, which is pretty unheard of. And this is what I was saying about, I think Australia were mentally broke by that um, that fourth test when England scored just under 600 so quickly. Like, they mentally just looked, in the field at least, looked shot. Five catches is unheard of from Australian side. Um, and yeah, they just kept going and going and going. England eventually got out for a 2-8-3, which is not amazing but it's the speed at which they scored like this was still day one um australia came out to reply um again david warner was caught after making a start so they finished the day one 61 for one and i think australia would have been happy with that getting england out for under 300 and only losing the one wicket while scoring 60 in reply but uh, day two was when it started to hot up because they australia i think they got themselves in a bit of a pickle on day two they obviously came in with the attitude to kind of dig in and you know get through the movement get through the early, early period and then we'll score but they just never got past the digging in part they dug in and they hung around they just didn't score any runs they scored 21 runs in the first hour before the drinks break um, and the four overs after the drinks break. And then Mark Woods got labishing with an unbelievable catch by Joe Root. Um, and that was the, the only w- wicket which fell then. So Australia were 115 for two at lunch. And it was the, the, the rate at which Australia scored, the speed at which they scored, or lack of, it really put them into pressure because... You always felt like if England pick up a couple of wickets here, Australia are in trouble because they just haven't scored. It was just maiden after maiden. And um, five balls after lunch, Broad got Kajala, three short of his half century. And then this is where it really hotted up in terms of things just moved quickly. Two overs later, um, Head was gone. Um, and then the uh, Carey was gone. Mitchell Mars chopped on. And just Stark was the final wicket to fall in that like that session before T, trying to pull Wood, and Australia were 186 for seven, and suddenly Australia had gone from being really happy at that initial point where they'd they'd got rid of um they'd got England out for under 300, thinking that they can go and go on and put England under pressure in this first innings, and it was like they might not even get up to where England were. Only had three wickets left. Straight after that, uh, the tea break, England thought they'd run Steve Smith out, but Johnny old Johnny Bairstow 
knock the ground with his gloves, uh, knock the wicket with his gloves, not the ball. Or, however, it was revealed later on, after 60 million camera angles, that he probably should have been out. But you can't expect the umpire to have had... He just, they haven't got that time to make that decision. So I do think he, he made the decision that he had to make at the time. Um, Cummins and Smith put together like a 50 partnership and that was really vital to just getting Australia closer and closer. And then Murphy came out and just hit, I think a few fours, three, four sixes. He's made 34 off like 30 odd balls and eventually he was out. Australia ended on two, nine, five. So they had like a lead of 12 or whatever. And you're thinking that day three, then is going to be vital because Australia will be fired up to try and get England cheap because if they get England cheap, they haven't got to chase much and it's game over. They'd be the first Australian side to win the Ashes in England for a long time. But if England get off to if they score quickly, they can really put Australia under pressure and score a lot of runs, leaving them with a very uphill task. They can draw the series and in Australia retain the Ashes, but they, again, the Australians are unable to win a series in England. Um, again, Crawley struck the first ball for a boundary. And this is, it's got to be in the record. I'd love to know. Like so many of the first balls of each session struck for boundaries. Um, the two openers put on 50 again, but again, it was the speed. Eight, eight overs, they scored 50 partnership. Um, Duckett went and it was so interesting. Um, Crawley scored 73 again and was superb. Ben Stokes came out with number three. And in my opinion, I think that's possibly where we might see him for the foreseeable future. Certainly while he can't bowl. Um, although there's been things about him bowling off spin, which is interesting. But um, Stuart Broad announced his reti- he was retiring at the end of day three as well. So we knew it was his last day. Um, Joe Root scored a great 50. Harry Brook fell cheaply. So England was sort of 200... 200- 65 for four, so they had about a lead of 250, but Root and Bairstow were there. Um, they both got 50s. Bairstow brought up um, his with a beautiful cover drive, and it was he, was he looked back to his old self, he looked fit again, and he took some great catches as well. In this, he took two really good one off pace and one off spin, exceptional catches. Uh, so eventually, England set him 377, and uh, yeah, well. Unbelievable stuff. And uh, it was set up perfectly because Australia yesterday welcomed Broad to the field with a guard of honour. And it all was a bit weird as him and Jimmy Anderson came out to bat. England only had one wicket left. It was all a bit weird. They got him out really quickly and they set Australia 3-8-4 to win. Now, on paper, 384, you're thinking, Jesus, not many teams can get that, you know, in, in English conditions, fourth and fifth day of a test. And it's never been like the highest chasing score in, in at the Oval is like, I think, 260 or something like that, 270. So it's a very uphill task. But Australia started like a house on fire. Uh, they had 50 partnership in 14 overs, fastest they'd scored all series. They reached lunch and they were 75 for no wicket. Um, and eventually the rain came at about 
in the afternoon session. But Australia finished 135 for no wicket. So they started today uh, only needing 249 more. And this is where it's interesting because 249 is a lot more manageable. Still got 10 wickets in hands. So both teams were going for the win today. And um, yeah, it was a mad day. Like England had the, in an early session, you had uh, Wokes got, again, Wokes, by the way, unbelievable bowling today. You just bowled, just on the spot, moving it away all the time. Got Warner, then he got Kajala, then Wood comes in, injured, but just bowls as fast as he can, gets Labashame cheap. But then Smith and Head both, both just settled the ship for that hour. So England had the first hour and then Australia had that second hour before lunch. So it was really interesting because whilst England had taken three wickets, Australia had also added to the runs. So it was like, this isn't ideal. So in, um, by the time by the time England got head out, which was Moen Ali caught root uh, for 43, they got it up to like 264 for four. So they only had like 100 odd or 150 to score from there. And just before lunch, Moen Ali bowls, uh, Steve Smith plays a shot and it comes off his glove. Ben Stokes jumps, catches it, but then as he's bringing his arm around, he hits his arm against his leg and drops the ball. Damn. And you're thinking, oh, no. Smith looked so focused. You thought, ah, oh, he's going to do this now. And when he scored his 50, he didn't celebrate. And you're just thinking, oh, no. But uh, again, Wilkes got him with a great catch by um, Crawley. Crawley's catching in this series has been sensational, by the way. Um, and then again, the wickets fell in clusters. Smith, Head, Marsh. Bairstow's catch off Mitchell Marsh was so good because he cut the, Ali comes in, bowls it, and he plays his shot, and it just sort of clips his back. And, if it, and Bairstow's going to dive to his right and react. Reactions were sensational. Um, but then Carey battles back with a bit of support from Cummins and Murphy, and then more wickets fall and more wickets fall. And then... Cometh the hour, cometh the man, right up, right at the end. Stuart Broad, the script was written, picks up two wickets to, to finish off the Australian innings. And I tell you what, the skill that Stuart Broad bowled with again today, around the wicket to the left-hander, normally bowlers, right-handed bowlers will go around the wicket to a left-hander to create the angle to kind of go into them, to tuck him up, to make him not give him any room. But he puts it on off stump and he moves, swings it away. And it's such a weird angle. The left-handers cannot deal with it at all. The crowd was bumping and it was just sensational. It was a great day's cricket. And and I've got to say, it was weird because Australia retained the Ashes. So you're not like celebrating winning the Ashes. But I actually thought this was one of the great, great Ashes series. I really thought it was sensational series from start to finish. Sensational. Oh, and by the way, um, just before Broad got Murphy out, he switches the bales again, which to do that twice in the same game, switch the bales and then take a wick at the next ball. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Really thought it was sensational. 
and uh, I'm glad that uh, Ben Stokes dropping Cats wasn't didn't cost him because uh, he's been a great captain. Well done, Johnny Bairstow, for for coming through all the criticism to score the runs in the last couple of tests and then to take some of the catches he's taken in the last couple of tests as well. It takes a strong mental side to uh, to be able to say that. And then um, as they left the pitch, you had Johnny uh, Moinani and Stuart Broad left the pitch together to be clapped off by everyone. I don't think we'll see Moinani again. I think it's time we give Rahan Ahmed a go in India where the pitches are going to be conducive to him. But I also think there's a couple of others like your Jacks, um, Dawson, got to be in with a shout. We've got to get these other spinners in while Jack Leach is out. We, we, we have to find other spinners. We can't keep going back to Mo and Ali and we can't rely on Jack Leach at the moment because of his injuries. Um, I also think we've got to have a conversation about Ben Fox. Being a wicketkeeper is a specialist position. We have one of the best in the world for that position. So let's get him in. If you don't think he's his batting is conducive to what England are doing, then bat him lower down the order. But ultimately, he should be inside because he's one of the best club wicketkeepers in the world. We are going to miss Stuart Broad terribly. I understand for his reasons and his personal reasons why he wanted to go out now. But I am gutted because I think he's still so skillful, so good. And you look at how effective he was for the five tests and you look at how well he bowled and how much impact he had on the five tests. He's three years, four years younger than Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson had no effect on this series. Um, tried hard, great lad, love him, one of the best ever. You can't take him to India unless he's just going to help the younger players. Stuart Broad, what a career. I love the shithousery from him. I love his attitude. I love his passion for playing for this country. And I love his ability to be a skillful bowler. Um, but I, ultimately, a great series full of ups and downs. I actually thought England were the better side over the five games. But Australia adjusted in the moment a bit better than what England did. Um, which I get is sometimes easier to say with hindsight. I think in the first couple of tests, dropped catches cost England uh, and Australia when they needed to dug in. When England needed to maybe dig in in that first or second test, I think it was, they didn't. And it probably cost them those, those three quick wickets hooking, probably cost them that test and probably the series. But um, a great series, a great, great series. Um, and a little word on the likes of Steve Smith, David Warner, who we won't see in the Ashes series again. Um, they've already said they're going to be finishing up soon. Uh, Steve Smith is one of the great, great, great batsmen. He'll be up there with the, you know, the Bradmans and the Bothams and the um, Graham Smiths and people like this, like the true greats of the games. Um, as will Stuart Broad be up there with the bowlers. Um, David Warner, I love that, like he's the pantomime villain, but then he's also got a stand innovation when he was out today. He deserved that. Whatever you think about the stuff they did and they got banned and blah, blah, blah. As cricketers, I love the way they play. 
and um, I'll miss playing, you know, miss watching them play. I got to say. Um, so the next Ashes in a couple of years will look very, very different to what it looks like. The sides will look very different. Although I think Ben Stokes will still be captain unless things go horribly wrong. And probably you'd be bowling off spin. But uh, look, I, I'd like to bring the cricket series back, state of play, um, which we did previously with um, West Indian cricketer Kieran Powell and uh, former Glamorgan player Nine Norman. Uh, it was a bit awkward just because Kieran's always travelling and stuff like that. But if you would like to see a regular cricket series, then let me know because I do know a few cricket cricketers which we could bring on board, as it were. Um, I hope you kind of enjoyed it. I was just sort of running down the test and and just looking back on the on the series. It's been a great series. If you would be interested in getting involved in the cricket series, then drop me a DM. If you'd like to just see a return, then let me know in the comments. But uh, until uh, until later in the week, we'll be back. Well, Tuesday, Championship Show, Cardiff Show. When uh, Thursday, sorry, Wednesday is the Championship Cardiff Show. Thursday is the uh, the Football News Weekly, and we've got a special guest joining us this week, which is Theo from the uh, from the Shed End podcast. But uh, until then, I bid you farewell. Cheers, guys. <laughs> Podcast Network.